starting a new sermon series this week, which I think is going to be very important for our church, about how to share your faith, how to share your faith. If you're not a Christian yet, this will be a good sermon for you too, actually, believe it or not, because it's going to really lay it all out for you. But if you're a Christian like most of you, this is going to equip you to share your faith. And I know that you have friends, you have family members who need Jesus and you want them to come to know Jesus, uh, but sometimes you don't know how to help them with that. That's what I want to help you with. And we know that it's important. The stakes are very high. Life is short. And we have to be ready to stand before God. Hebrews 9, it says, It is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So there is no reincarnation. There's no second chance. You have this lifetime to choose whether to accept Jesus or reject him. And then comes judgment, and you have to answer to God. And if we love people, then we have to be willing to tell them about Jesus, who is the only way for them to be saved from their sins. In Romans 10, 13, I want you to focus in on this verse for me. It says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good News, Man, if you're lost and on the road to hell and someone comes along with the good news of how you can escape that destiny, man, that messenger, man, it's beautiful when they show up with the gospel of Jesus Christ and tell you how to be saved. Now, you've probably heard this saying, don't respond to it, um, but you've probably heard this saying, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. I hate that. I don't like it. I get it. I get why it was popular. Uh, it's falsely attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. He didn't actually say that. But a lot of Christians, a lot of us, we, we latched onto that saying at one point because it was like, the idea was like, well, yeah, we should preach the gospel at all times with our actions, which I like that part, but the use words if necessary part, I don't like that part because it is necessary. It says, how can they believe unless someone tells them, right? If they don't hear the truth, then they're not going to be able to believe in Jesus, the source of truth. So we've got to be willing to tell people. This is a really important thing. Okay, so when my army unit was deployed to Iraq, in the middle of it, they had what they called mid-tour leave, where they will let soldiers go home to see their families for like a week or two weeks, kind of depends. And man, I really enjoyed that time. I came back to Arizona, visited my family. I took this girl named Amy on a date, but it wasn't really a date, but it was a date, you know what I'm saying? And uh, about a year after that, we, we ended up getting engaged. But when I saw my family and I went back to uh, Iraq, I realized it's hard to go back when you just got you know, able to come home and see your, your loved ones. And that's why it made sense, but I didn't realize when the older soldiers who were more experienced, they wouldn't always want to go home because it was so hard for them to leave again. They knew, they knew that. But it's interesting. There was a young guy in my unit, which I'm not proud to admit this, but he actually came home on mid-tour leave. And then when it was time to go back to Iraq, he fled and he ran away. And I don't know what exactly was the cause of that, but he didn't want to go back, so he ran. And the military does not look kindly upon that. They actually, no joke, sent the military police to track him down, arrested him, court-martialed him, and put him in Leavenworth prison wow. for abandoning his post, 
for forsaking his comrades, for going AWOL, absent without leave. It is a big deal when you have a mission and you swear to not quit, to put the mission first, and then you do quit. And that's a big deal. And I would say if that's true for a soldier, it's even more true for a Christ follower. You have a mission and people are depending on you to carry it out. Listen, your mission is the great commission. This is the great commission. It has been given to us by Jesus, and it's true for everyone, not just the 12 disciples, not just pastors, but all Christians. And here's what it is, Matthew 28, 18. This is the great commission. It says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus is saying, I have all authority. I'm the one in charge and I'm not just your friend, but he's also our king. Like, like we just saying, he's our king, and when, and when we think about that, he's our king, that means we do what he tells us to do. We live in America in a constitutional republic, it's a democratic election process, right? But in heaven, there is no democracy, we don't get a vote, Jesus is the king, we do what he says. And it's good because Jesus is good, and so everything he tells us to do is good. <laughs> so we can, just, we can just relax and do what he says, but it's, it's, easier, it's easier said than done sometimes. Now, here's what it means. When he has given us commission, a commission, the great commission, it means he has given us the authority and the power to act on his behalf and a mission to do. Now, when I was in the military, I was a commissioned officer. I got to swear my little brother in when he became a second lieutenant. Uh, and so in this moment, you're, you're promising to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign or domestic, and bear true faith and allegiance to the same. I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office about which I'm about to enter. So help me God. You're, you're swearing an oath to support the Constitution, to defend, and man, you're saying, I'm going all in on this, and I mean what I say. I'm going to put the mission first. I'm going to obey the orders of the leaders who are over me. And, and what's interesting about a commissioned officer is uh, the highest ranking person in the military is technically the president. He's called the commander-in-chief. Kind of scary to think about that right now. <laughs> I won't get into that but I really want to, but I won't. And so, stop it, stop it. You guys are ridiculous. Okay. So a commissioned officer has been given the authority to act on behalf of the president of the United States on the battlefield and issue orders, which could affect his soldiers and his nation even. You think about that level of authority, it's a big deal. It's life or death. Well, for Christians, we have been commissioned by Jesus, our king, the commander of heaven's armies. We have been given authority to represent him in this world, and we've received our mission from him to go and preach the good news, to go and make disciples. And, and, and there is an enemy, a spiritual enemy, but we have power to overcome the enemy in Jesus' name. Right? Our mission is not just a matter of life and death, but it's a matter of eternity. So hear me on this. This is where I'm going to start to challenge some of you. The Great Commission is not the Great Suggestion. 
Like, hey, maybe do this if you feel called to it. No, when you signed up to follow Jesus, this became your mission. Well, I'm kind of more shy. My personality isn't really to like go and tell people. No, it doesn't really matter your personality type. You've been given your mission by your king. So this is our, our mission as a church collectively, and we all contribute to it in different ways. But it's also your mission individually. Personally, you have a responsibility to carry this out. And yet, even though all, all of us, I think, would agree, we should, we don't always do. There's a, a bit of a disconnect between you know, what Jesus told us to do, what we know we should do, and what we should actually, what we actually end up doing. There are hindrances, I think, that, that stop us from sharing our faith. I've heard a lot of them over the years. I've surveyed you on social media. I've heard these same things repeated again and again. So here's the first one. Hindrances to sharing your faith. Let's just talk about what they are and address them. First, people will say, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. In a, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to talk about sharing your testimony, which is you know, something you're an expert in. So you'll always know what to say. But today, I want to talk about this. I don't know what to say. And I'm not going to coddle you today. It's a problem. We have a problem when Christ followers can't give a basic explanation of the core principles of their faith. We have a problem. Now, the thing about the Bible is the divine truth of God's word is both infinitely complex and layered, and it is so simple a child can understand the message. So on one hand, it's so, it's so deep, like, Man, I, you'll never read the Bible and be like, I already knew all that. You can read it through for the thousandth time and you'll see something, I've never seen that before. How did I never? I'm understanding it in greater ways. And at the same time, the message of the gospel is so simple. That is why Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. Even a child can understand it. So it is complex, but it's also simple which is why I've got to call some people out on this. Have you, ever, have you ever seen someone pretend to be dumb to get out of something they don't want to do? I get it. I've been there. Like, I don't know what it is about dishwashers. I just can't figure out how to load them. They're just, I don't know what to do. I'll just kind of fumble around until my wife gets fed up and she says, you know, I'll do it. I don't know what it is about folding clothes. I just can't get them to go flat. I don't know what it is. No, but there's a lot of Christians who are just like, well, I just don't really know what to say. I just can't. The Bible, there's words and stuff. I don't know what they mean. Like, it's like, stop. You know, you're smarter than you let on. You figured out how to get 15 different streaming services to work on your TV. <laughs> you know all the macronutrients necessary to put on muscle or to lose weight. Some of you, man, you, you could put Ikea furniture together. You're smarter than you let on. See, the thing, you can explain the things you care about. Some of you just haven't cared enough to learn the things of God. See, you'll become proficient in what you prioritize. You'll be able to explain your faith when you prioritize understanding your faith. And honest, not only are you smart enough to figure it out, I believe in you, but God's word commands you to figure it out. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Okay, so 
You don't have to become like a theologian or an academiac, right? But you should be able to give the reason for the hope you have. If you're the guy, you're like, I, don't, I just don't know what to say. Well, you need to figure it out, bro. Because it's the most important thing in the world. For most people, listen, you're their best chance to hear the gospel. Most of the people you will come across in this life, at work, in the community, at your kid's school, right? You're their best shot to hear the gospel. So you've got to be ready. And, and honestly, I'll hear some Christians talk about their faith, and I know they love Jesus. I know they're going to heaven, right? But it can be embarrassing sometimes to hear them try to explain it. it it'll sound like Oprah had a baby with Ned Flanders. Like, oh, golly, gee shucks, the big guy upstairs, you know, helping me become a better version of myself. Like, what? That's not in here. Like, we need to be able to explain this a little better than that. So I'm going to give you 10 things you need to be able to explain. 10 things you need to be able to explain in your own words with scripture references. Uh, yes, I'm giving you homework. And there will be a test. The test is how you live your life. And you will be graded on the test when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Because I love you, and I don't want your hand to cramp up, I'm going to give you a handout when you leave with these 10 things on it, okay? So there's actually going to be a handout when you go outside the doors of the auditorium after service, at the end of the service, hint, hint, at the end of the service. Okay, so here, 10 things you need to be able to explain. You should be ready. Every Christian should be ready to explain these things. I'm going to go quick. First, explain our God. Specify that you're talking about the God of the Bible and his son, Jesus Christ, as he is revealed in the scriptures. It's not good enough just to talk about God generically. Because a lot of people believe in a God or a version of God. A lot of religions have a God. There are pagan religions that teach everything is God. And we are all God. And when people just talk about God generically, they can kind of make it whatever they want it to be. You need to talk about the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You need to talk about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lord who has made flesh amongst us and be clear on that so people know what you're talking about. First Corinthians 8, 6 says, but for us there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things were created and through whom we live. You've got to get specific about our God because there's only one name under heaven by which we can be saved. That's the name of Jesus Christ. So I would encourage you to use the name of Jesus when you share Jesus. Don't just talk generically about God. Talk about Jesus because it gets real when you talk about Jesus. Here's the second thing. Explain our problem. Our problem. We are sinners and sin separates us from God for eternity. See, a lot of people out in the world are depressed. I get it. But depression is not their greatest problem. A lot of people are hopeless, but hopelessness is not their greatest problem. A lot of people have marriage problems, family problems, financial problems, but those problems are all rooted in a greater problem. Our greatest problem is that we have all sinned against an almighty and holy God, the God of the universe. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So a very common thing that will come up when you share your faith is people will tend to say, well, you know, I'm a good person. And it's like, no, you're not. But yes, I am. My mom told me I'm a good person. It doesn't matter what your mom thinks. God says you're not. 
In Romans 3.10, scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one does good, not a single one, including you, <laughs> including me. None of us can stand before God on judgment day and said, I was really, really good, and I deserve to be in there, right? See, Adam and Eve, they were created in the garden, and everything was good. God made everything perfect. There was no sin, sickness, death, disease. God gave them free will, and they willingly chose to rebel against him and break his commandments. They sinned, they ushered sin into the world. And it's common, people will say, well, how come I have to suffer for their sins? I wasn't there. You co-sign their sin every time you break one of God's commandments. We share in their guilt, which is why we also need a savior. Which leads me to the third thing. You need to be ready to explain the reality of hell. Hear me on this, church. You need to get comfortable telling people they're going to hell. Because they are. Without Jesus, people are going to hell. For some of you, you might be at church today, you're not a believer in Jesus. You are going to hell. Now, talking about people going to hell is probably gonna make some of you feel uncomfortable but it will definitely be uncomfortable if they go there for them. If you love people, you have to be willing to tell them the truth. And you don't have to say it in a harsh way, but I think when the stakes are this high, you wanna be clear about what's at stake. Now, when you read what Jesus did, I mean, Jesus is our example, true? True? Not a trick question. Jesus is our example, true? Yes, thank you. So when you read about what Jesus did and said, and you kinda look at his words recorded in scripture, the top three sermon topics that he gave. The kingdom of heaven, that's a good one, that's one everyone likes, but also money, <laughs> that's one people don't always like, and hell, he talked about hell a lot. Like Matthew 25, just a couple examples. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is real. Matthew 10, 28. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Hell is a real place, and it is scary, and the idea of going to hell should cause people to fear. That is why Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When I find out, like, I'm going to hell, that's when it's like, you got my attention now. Okay, what else? <laughs> what do I need to know to get out of that situation? It is, it is horrible. Hell is real. It is a place, when, you, when people end up in hell, there are no more second chances. It's over. Some Christians can barely stand hearing a preacher talk about hell. And so they definitely aren't comfortable telling people about hell. And they think, you know, I can't do that. That's mean. Come on, some of you, you thought that. You're like, man, this preacher, he's a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Yes, I am, and I'm proud of it. You're like, he's mean. It's not mean, guys. It's not mean. <laughs> It's the loving thing to do. Okay, so just like, think about this scenario. Imagine this scenario. Fourth of July just happened. You're watching the fireworks. A bottle rocket lands on your neighbor's house. You're sitting there like, huh, see his house catch on fire. You know your neighbor, Ted, he always goes to bed early. He's asleep right now. His house is on fire. So you're sitting there and you're like, man, should I go uh, wake him up? His house is on fire and he's going to die. Um, but he is sleeping 
I don't really want to interrupt him. He might be having a nice dream, actually. Who am I to go tell him that his house is on fire? You know, you, you would want people to come and tell you if you were sleeping in a burning building, right? Wake up. You're going to die. You need to get out of here. See, it's not mean to tell someone the truth when you're trying to help them be saved from destruction. It's the loving thing to do. And you will tell lost people about hell when you become more afraid for them than you are of them. I know that's going to take a minute to sink in for some of you, so that's okay. Which leads us to the next point. Explain our salvation. Be ready to explain our salvation, that Jesus saves us from hell by paying our debt with his blood. Our sin earned us a place in hell, and Jesus paid the debt so that we could be saved from hell. That's why you have to tell them about hell, because they have to know what they're being saved from in order to appreciate it. Romans 5.9 says, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. So man, yeah, I have a healthy fear of the condemnation of God, but I have the relief of knowing I've been saved from that condemnation because it was already poured out on Jesus on the cross. We are saved truly through faith in Jesus. And then five, you need to be ready to explain our regeneration. The goal of Christianity is not for you to become a better version of yourself. When you become a Christian, the old you dies and the new you is alive in Christ. You don't need a better version of you. You need a new you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is why Jesus said we need to be born again. Born again. Right? Because really what this boils down to is this. Like, before I knew Jesus, you know, my, my life's a hot mess, right? The best version of sinful me was still a dumpster fire. I needed a new me. I needed to be born again. People need to be born again into the kingdom of God. And here's the good news. When you're born again, the worst version of you is still declared righteous in God's sight. Aren't you glad to know the old you is dead? You're not who you used to be. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The sixth thing is this. You should be ready to explain our justification. Justification. We have been declared guilt-free in God's sight. This is a legal term to declare that your guilt has been removed through faith in Jesus. And this is so uh, powerful because so many people, some of you, you still carry even the guilt of your past mistakes. So, So many people go through life with the shame of the things that they once did. And they think, if anyone knew what I did, they, they wouldn't love me. They wouldn't want me. They wouldn't accept me. But when we put our faith in Jesus, we have been justified. That means declared guilt-free. It says this in Romans 5, Therefore, since, anyone, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You do not need to carry guilt any longer. Seven, we need to be ready to explain our freedom. We are free from the power of sin, and we have the power to do what's right. You know what that means? You can't say as a Christian, well, the devil made me do it. Because you have been freed from the power of sin. Jesus set us free so we can live free. The, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. 
In Romans 6, it says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So man, you, you might have sins that you struggle with still as a Christian, but that sin does not have control over you or power over you. God's given you the power to live for him and do what's right. And then eight, always be ready to explain our adoption. Right? We're not just signing up to become church members. We're not just signing up to become good citizens. Through faith in Jesus, we are made sons and daughters of God and co-heirs with Christ. That's good news. Come on, somebody. It wasn't that he just saved us from hell, but he brought us into the family of God. And through faith in Jesus, we receive the inheritance that Jesus has earned on our behalf. We become co-heirs of God. You're not just saved to be a church member. You're not just saved to become a good person. You become God's child. And that means that he loves you the way that a loving father loves a child. He won't give up on you. He won't quit on you. He'll always be there for you because you're his kid. You're adopted into his, his family. John 1 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Romans 8, 15, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. Abba is Aramaic for father. We call him Father. Through Jesus, you're God's children, and God takes care of his kids. That's good news, isn't it? Nine, be ready to explain our hope. Our hope that Jesus is going to return and right the wrongs of this world and that heaven is our home. Man, Jesus didn't just save you to give you a better marriage, although you will have a better marriage if you follow Jesus. Jesus did not save you just to, to bless you financially, although I think he'll do that for you. Jesus is going to return one day and he is going to right the wrongs of this world. And we know that no matter what happens in this world, no matter how bad or scary things get, one day we are going to reign in heaven for all eternity. This world can feel overwhelming and hopeless at times, especially the more you watch the news. Some of you watch the news too much. But we can look forward to the day when Jesus comes back to set all things right. Titus 2.13 says, while we wait for this blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So look, that means this, no matter how bad things in this world get, and I do, I hope things get better in our lifetime. I'm optimistic. I think we should be optimistic. We have the hope that one day the Lord is going to appear in the clouds and return with his angels and usher us into glory. Jesus is coming again. And then lastly, 10, you should be ready to explain our distinctive, what makes us different than the rest, okay? Christianity, as the Bible teaches it, is different than every other religious system in the world. Every other religious system in the world ultimately boils down to you have to work to earn it. We are the only ones who are saved by God's grace. Every other religion essentially boils down to spiritual slavery. And it says even humanism, even secular humanism, people are working to prove they're good people. It's works. It's works. We're the only ones who know the truth. Because the devil knows you can never earn your salvation. You could do all the good things in the world. You could be the nicest person on earth and a thousand lifetimes of niceness, you wouldn't even come close to earning salvation. 
But Christianity teaches us, the Bible teaches, that it's a gift that we just receive. Think about how contradictory that is to the way that men think. Men think, like, I want to achieve it. I want to prove myself. I want to earn it. And God's like, you can't. You'll never be able to earn it. But you can receive it. You can receive it and be saved by God's grace. Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. So you should be able to explain all those concepts. And I think you're smart enough, and I believe in you, and you can do it. You're smart enough to do it if you care enough to try. There are hindrances to sharing your faith. Here's another one. People will say, you know, I'm afraid of being rejected. That's just a real thing. We all sometimes feel the fear of rejection. Think about it, how how real this is. What if you knew everyone you told about Jesus would say yes? Man, you would just be out there like a wild man. You'd be interrupting people in the middle of their dinner at Chili's, like, stop eating those. You got to accept Jesus right now. In the checkout line, like, I got to lead you all to Christ real quick. You'd be at work, like, telling everybody about Jesus. You'd be knocking on all your neighbors' doors. Wake up. Time for you to become a Christian. Like, you just go nuts. But the reality is some people are going to say no. God gave us free will. Some people are going to say no. And you know what? That can be hard in the moment. But here's how you comfort yourself and you process through that. What do you expect? If they said no to Jesus, then you should expect that they'll also say no to you. That's a reality. John 6 talks about this. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. He was Jesus, the, the perfect son of God, the perfect manifestation of God's love, the best preacher who's ever been on earth, the best pastor who's ever led people, and people still rejected him. So, of course, they're going to reject us. They're going to walk away sometimes. But you got to comfort yourself with this. When people reject you, you remind yourself that they're not really rejecting you. They are rejecting the Lord whom you are representing to them. Don't be afraid. People also fear this. I'm afraid of the cultural backlash. The more time goes on, the more our message goes against the grain of society, the grain of the culture. The culture says people, people are good. People are basically good. Most people are good. And we're here saying, no, you're not. You're a sinner and you need to repent. The culture says, do whatever feels right for you. And we're here telling them, no, you need to do what God says is right. The culture says Christians are bigots and haters. And so It's not really fun to get labeled that way. And so here's what it boils down to. You need to get used to being hated by the world. Matthew 10 says, you will be hated by everyone because of me. This is what Jesus told us was going to happen. And some Christians, they're not ready for that. They, they want to be the kind of Christian who's liked by everyone, you know? They're like, I don't want to be the, you know, the Christian that, that people don't like. I want to be that, like, cool, life of the party non-confrontational, non, non-denominational, you know, non-opinionated Christian. I'm just, I'm just cool, bro, with whatever, you know? I'm just here to love you, whatever. Like, that, that's just not reality. Jesus said, you'll be hated by everyone because of me. You, you might get along with everyone, but you're not helping anyone, if that's the case. Here, listen to this. You can't be effective without being offensive, If you haven't offended anyone lately, you probably haven't affected anyone lately. What about at work, you think? I get it. It's easier for me to offend people at my job than at yours. It's it's hard. Sometimes you think, what what about at work? And I do think that God wants to use you to reach people at your job. 
And you do need to know that you have religious freedom to express your faith at your job. But you also have to be strategic about how you share your faith at your job because you have a responsibility to provide for your family, the scriptures say. So you need to you know, hold that in one hand and be strategic. So maybe you know, don't show up to work tomorrow with a picket sign, like a megaphone, and just like burn the place to the ground and get yourself fired, be a little more strategic about it, okay? You can, you can be wise as serpents, as gentle as doves, be strategic about it. So what, what that looks like is you go to work and you let your light shine. You like let the joy of the Lord radiate from you. Let the peace of God reign in your heart when the world gets crazy. Like love people even when they're difficult. People are gonna look at you and be like, what's wrong with you? Everyone else is over here freaking out and you're here like all happy? Like why are you happy? Oh, see. I've been waiting for you to ask about that. <laughs> Funny you should ask, my friend. They'll be like, hey, what do you got any plans for this weekend? As a matter of fact, I do. On Sunday, I'm going to church, and you should come with me. You, you can't get in trouble when someone just asks you, and the world is crazy, and everyone's worried, and they're on their phones. What's going to happen next? And you're just like, man, I got the peace of God reigning in my heart. I'm like, why are you so calm right now? Oh, because I, I know God's in control. I trust in Jesus. I know it's all going to work out in the end. You can share your faith. And then over time, people are going to come to you, and they'll start to ask you, can you tell me more about what you believe? And you'll have the opportunity to share. And that, especially when they ask you, you're not going to get in trouble. But also, man, I'm going to reach people at your work, and you can reach people at other people's work. And it's going to be one of the ways that we can work together to reach our community. Another hindrance to sharing faith is people say, I'm afraid of losing the relationship. And this is probably relevant for the people who you're the closest to. I'm going to talk more in a couple of weeks about how to know when to push and how to know when to just let it sit or walk away. But the people who are closest to you, your family, kids, siblings, parents, good friends, neighbors, there's always that tension of like you want to tell them, but after you've already told them 30 times, you wonder like, am I going to get on their nerves? Am I going to drive them away? Or, or maybe it comes down to this. Maybe you have a loved one who's living a sinful lifestyle, and you know that telling them about God's word and the, the truth of the gospel is going to cause a confrontation with their lifestyle. And, and in that moment, you might fear losing the relationship. And so you'll be tempted to stay silent, thinking you're, you're helping them by preserving the relationship. Can I just tell you, they need a relationship with Jesus more than they need a relationship with you. But also you need to realize that Loving Jesus and following him could cost you relationships. And I see this happen in certain groups like Muslims. People who, people who are Muslim and they choose to follow Jesus are basically choosing to lose their entire life. It's also hard. You see in the Mormon community, a lot of ostracization that happens there. Uh, people get rejected by their community, and that's hard. Ma Matthew 10, Jesus told us to expect this. And this is a really difficult passage, but it's good to hear this. He said, do not think that I came to bring peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. I have come to turn sons against their fathers, daughters will refuse to obey their mothers, daughters-in-law will be against their mothers-in-law, a man's enemies will be the members of his own family. Anyone who loves their father or more, mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not pick up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. This is a hard passage. And here Jesus is basically saying, you've got to love me more than your own kids. 
You've got to love me more than your parents. It doesn't mean you don't love them. It just means compared to how much I love Jesus, it'll look like I hate you at times. But I actually just love Jesus, and I I want you to come with me to follow Jesus, but if you're not coming with me, I'm going without you. All these hesitations, I don't know what to say, and even when I do, I'm afraid. The Lord will help you with this. He will help you with this. And just like Jesus told the disciples, don't leave yet. I got some help coming your way. In Acts 1.8, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, to Arizona even. And around America, like, it worked, didn't it? It, it, The power worked. You see it in the life of Peter. He received that power amongst the other disciples, and, and we see it at work on the day of Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit gives us power to witness. He gives us the courage to speak. And you see that difference with Peter when he was denying Jesus in one moment, and then he was boldly proclaiming the gospel in the next moment. What changed? The Holy Spirit changed. Peter and gave him the courage to speak. I know that it can be scary when you start telling people the truth about reality, soul level things, eternity, sin, death, hell, heaven, Jesus, the only way to be saved. It can be scary in that moment, but the Holy Spirit gives you the courage to speak. So, So here's what it looks like. We read our Bibles so we'll know what to say and we receive the Holy Spirit so we'll have the courage to say it. And when you put your faith in Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. But some of you might need more of the Holy Spirit. Because if you're a Christian and you're still scared to share your faith, you need more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also gives us the words to say. He might give you a word of wisdom and, and how to handle a situation. The Bible talks about words of knowledge where the Holy Spirit, who is God, who knows everything, can tell you things that you could never know in your own human ability. I've had that happen too. And that's, it's kind of weird when it happens, but he can help you in that way. But he also reminds us, the Holy Spirit, of what the word of God says. So it says this, John 14, Jesus said, but when the father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. This is why you need to read your Bible. Because the whole reminding thing, it works better when you knew it at one point. It's hard to remind you of something you never knew. I never have woken up and been like, you know what? I just remembered that I know nuclear physics. I I just remembered how to fly an airplane. No, because I I never knew those things. I I can't remember them. The Holy Spirit won't remind me of something I've never known. It's safe to say that we do, we expect people with a job to learn how to do their job especially the more important their job is. So if you go to a doctor and he doesn't understand like the immune system, it's like, well, what's wrong with you? You're supposed to be a doctor. If you get on an airplane and the the pilot's like, you know, next week I'm learning how to land this thing. (laughs) You're like, what are you, you're supposed to know this. You're a pilot, right? How much more for Christians do we need to learn how to explain our faith? We need to learn the basics of our faith. You don't have to become a a theologian and know everything. Nope, I don't know everything, but you can explain the basics of my faith. So I'm just calling you out. That's all it is. If you're here, you're like, I don't know what to say. You need to figure it out. And maybe just admit you haven't tried to learn up to this point. There, you know, isn't it cool that we have a Bible in English? It's way easier than if it was 
all in Greek and Hebrew, right? It's easier. I don't have to learn another language in order to read this. I can read it in my own language. And, and then there are different translations that break it down even into simpler English. There's, there's a translation called the easy-to-read version. So, man, you know, even someone learning English as a second language could read it and understand it, or a child could read it and understand it. There are picture Bibles <laughs> that tell the stories of Scripture with pictures, like comic books. So it, it doesn't matter if that's what you got to use. Like, use that and get the basics of your faith. Fill your heart with the Word of God, and the more you read it, the more the Holy Spirit will help you to understand it because Jesus promised he would. He will teach you truth and lead you into all truth. You'll understand more and more. The Holy Spirit will guide you as you have these conversations. So when you get ready to share your faith with someone and you start to feel scared and you think, like, what am I getting myself into it? Here, you, you got to remind yourself, I'm not in this alone. The Holy Spirit is with me, and he is helping me in this moment. So when the door opens and someone asks you about your faith or they ask you what you believe, that's where you inwardly in your heart you pray, let's go, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, activate. It's time to go. Like, and like, he'll lead you in that conversation, and he'll, he'll say, you know, say this. You should say this. So you're talking to them, and you're listening to them, but you'll also hear the Holy Spirit like, oh, ask them about this. And you'll be listening to the Holy Spirit and listening to them. And the Holy Spirit will say, just stop talking. <laughs> just, just wait. Just let, them, just let them answer. And the Holy Spirit will say, I mean, offer to pray for them right now. Yes. He'll help you in those moments. And, and man, he will do the heavy lifting. You just got to be willing to open your mouth. You just got to be willing to be used like a tool in his hands. Now, understand this. We're not just trying to proselytize. This word proselytize, we don't use this all the time. Proselytize means to try to convert someone or to spread your beliefs. Any religion can proselytize. And actually, most of you proselytize at some point or another. So it might be about parenting, and maybe you're a mom, and you're telling other moms, like, this is how you should raise your kids. This is, this is how you should respond. You're trying to spread your beliefs to someone else. That's proselytizing. Or maybe it's about nutrition. You're telling people, you shouldn't eat that. You guys should eat this way. That's proselytizing. Or, or other religions. Everyone, everyone does this, really. You know, other religions proselytize. They try to spread beliefs. You know, even Satan proselytizes. And he's trying to spread lies. Your kids are being proselytized to on TikTok and YouTube. And the enemy is trying to spread falsehood. So if the enemy is doing it, how much more so God, God's people try to spread Truth, right? But here, here's what I want you to understand. Anyone can proselytize. Only we can evangelize. you got to understand the difference with evangelism. The word evangelism, it literally means to bring good news. Anyone can spread their beliefs. Only we can spread good news, right? Because we know the good news of Jesus Christ. So everywhere you go, man, you can tell people, I got bad news and I've got good news. Which one do you want first, right? The bad news is you are a sinner and you are separated from God by your sin. And the wages of sin is death. There is a hell, it's real, and you're going there. But there's good news. You ready for the good news? The good news is that God sent his son Jesus into the world and he took your place and died on the cross and he paid your debt, but he also rose again. He defeated death 
and he wants to give you eternal life. He wants to adopt you into God's family. He wants to make you a child of God and you can go to heaven and reign with him for all eternity. Which one do you want? You can, t- you can, t- you can tell people this and the world needs the good news, right? It's just, it's just too good to keep to ourselves. That's what it really boils down to. The good news is too good to keep to ourselves. Whenever you experience a good thing, you just naturally share it, don't you? You go to a good restaurant and you start telling all your friends, bro, you got to go to this restaurant. It's amazing. They've got amazing food there. When you see a good movie, you start telling everybody, you got to see this movie. you got to watch this show. We naturally share good things. Why would we not share the best thing? Especially when it's free. He already paid the price. He offers you this gift. You just got to receive it. Do you want to receive it? That's all we're doing. I'm asking you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment.